want to hear this episode ad-free? Hey, true crime friends. This is your host, Mary DePippi. And if you would like to hear your true crime in academia episodes completely ad-free, consider going to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and become a subscriber. For $5 a month, you not only get access to now ad-free episodes of True Crime and Academia, but bonus episodes as well. Every month, I love to offer subscribers a bonus episode, such as Richard Ramirez, The Night Stalker, or Casey Anthony, or The John JonBenet Ramsey Killing. I mean, you name it, I want to cover it. So... The only way you can access that is to go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber today. Like I said, it's only $5. I mean, think about it. I mean, you're really just buying me a coffee, which I know I say sometimes in my episodes, but it's true. And for all of the research and everything, you know, we put or I put into getting you these episodes, it would be nice just have a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber today so you can get access to those bonus episodes. And like I said, now especially add free episodes. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and get your bonus episodes and ad free episodes today. Hey, true crime friends. Welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you all had a wonderful week this week. Um, This week is a little bit bittersweet for me. Um, After today, we say, well, I specifically say goodbye to the absolute best intern on the entire planet, Rosie. Um, some of you may know Rosie is and has been my intern this past year. Um, and she has just been absolutely incredible and has stepped up in so many ways. I mean, I do not know how I survived without her and I'm not sure how I'm going to survive when she (laughs) leaves me after today. Um, you know, but we will figure it out. And yeah, I really just want to say thank you so much, Rosie, for everything you have done. I mean, absolutely incredible work. And truly, you have done so much for not only me, but for this podcast. And it means a lot. So like I said, I just want to say a huge thank you to Rosie. Like I said, who was always helping me out behind the scenes. And I'm just really going to miss her. So for this week's case, we have, instead of a college student being a victim, we have a college student being sort of a perpetrator, um, or at least a accomplice in that. And we will also be getting into the world of college basketball just a little bit, not too much. I'm not a big sports person, so... To have me try to explain sports is just not not good. But some of you may know this case because of that or may know who this player is, like I said, because he was a college basketball player. So without any further ado, let's get into it. 
before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to let everyone know, because I will forget during the course of this episode, that everything that I am telling you is alleged. It is not 100% proven, without a doubt, fact. Um, The case is ongoing, so therefore, anything I say, it is alleged. It may or may not have happened. I personally think that it's the first one, but you can come to your own conclusions. Okay, so now let's really get into it. Darius Miles was a 21-year-old, 6'6 man from Washington, D.C. He was in his third year as a student at the University of Alabama and his third season on the University of Alabama basketball team. Now, before he went to college at the University of Alabama, he attended IMG Academy. Upon graduation, he had received offers from Georgetown, Rhode Island, Rutgers, Seton Hall, and of course, the University of Alabama, which he ultimately chose. He had been one of the five high school recruits that the University of Alabama signed as part of its 2020 recruiting class. Miles was also rated as the fourth best among those signees with a three-star rating and a number 159 national ranking. So, you know, not too bad. Aside from ING Academy, he also attended Roosevelt High School in Washington, D.C., where he also played for them as well. So clearly, basketball is this guy's life. And I couldn't really find much about his other background aside from his football, or not football, geez, his basketball career. Sorry, guys. I, sports are not my thing, but specifically not, like, if I had to rank them all, and I'm sorry for offending anyone, but basketball is, like, my least favorite of, like, the core sports out there, you know? So <laughs> I apologize if I screw this up and accidentally call it another name but like I said clearly very good at basketball it seems like or at least decent enough to play college which not a lot of people get the chance so again had to be pretty decent and I don't know where the University of Alabama ranks with like you know like if it's a D1 D2 like I'm not entirely sure so um you know, if any of you know, that would be cool. Let me know. IvoryTowerBoilerRoom at gmail.com. Um, but anyway, not much is known about his early life. Until this, though, I you know, it doesn't seem like he was a, a bad dude, I don't think. Again, didn't have much information. I'm just make, throwing a guess out there. Because I do think, to some extent, like, college sports athletes you know, they are held to a higher standard, you know, because they are representing the school on a larger scale and things like that. So, you know, he at least knew how to behave, I guess. <laughs> Dis- the fact that he had worked so hard to get there and, you know, play college basketball, he actually spent most of his time on the bench. Also, just to let you know, because I just remembered he was a forward as well I forgot to put that in my notes but yeah so he played a forward for anyone who was curious but he was mostly benched 
he appeared in 53 games and made two starts that both came during his sophomore season, which was 2021-2022. Now, this current season, his role diminished even more on the team. He played maybe seven minutes off the bench, and eventually he had to stop playing because of an ankle injury that he sustained. Even with returning from the ankle injury, he still wasn't playing very much and didn't even get to participate in the University of Alabama's win over two of the number one ranked teams, North Carolina and Houston. And from then on, he kind of just continued to not have as much going on on the basketball team. You know, like he just really wasn't playing. He was just more of a kind of guy on the bench. But, you know, still on the team. Clearly he was keeping his grades up, you know. He was doing all of the things. It's just frustrating that, like, you know, this kid had a future and he just totally fucked it up for himself. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? If so, the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. Have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting? television show or other form of media the gnlr believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews commentary and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art a novel a movie or what have you in addition to the articles published in the print magazine the gnlr also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular here's my story section this allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GNLR, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org and scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have any questions, email stephen.hemrick at glreview.org. The GNLR can't wait to see what you have to say. And remember that they're offering an exclusive code with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. So when you subscribe to the magazine, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. So that's seven issues instead of six. Again, just visit the glreview.org and click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR for your free issue. During the late night of January 14th, early morning January 15th of 2023, Darius and a group of his friends and his girlfriend were all out having a good time, you know, just enjoying themselves, you know, as college students do. At some point when they are walking down University Boulevard, Darius's friend Michael Davis sees this pretty girl in a black Jeep. So he starts dancing outside of the car and like doing what he can to get her attention. And Miles, or not Miles, but Darius Miles, eventually goes over. Now at some point, the window rolls down and there's this other guy in the car and he's telling Davis like, dude, she's got a boyfriend, move on. At some point, during this interaction, though, it got 
heated. And it's not 100% sure if Miles and um, Davis saw (laughs) Miles and Davis. Isn't that a famous duo or something? Not this, obviously, but like a different one. Ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. Let me know. Or maybe I will think of it. But anyway, um, oh, no, I know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Wallace and Davis from um, White Christmas. Not this, obviously. Wrong thing. Anywho, they both claim that they saw a gun from the back seat, or at least this is what they are thinking they saw. At this point, the man that they were talking to switches seats and gets into the driver's seat and drives off. But then they come back. But when they come back, the lights are off. Now, they had met with other friends at this time, so like they parked their car, and then eventually they come back. At this point, Miles texted one of his friends who was with them and said, I need you to basically grab my gun. So then this person brings it over to him and then Miles hands it to his friend Davis and basically lets him know that there is a round inside of the chamber basically ready to go. Davis then goes up to Miles's girlfriend and asks her if she saw where the Jeep went. And at that point, Miles kind of like moves her out of the way once she kind of tells him what's happening. And he goes towards the direction and finds the Jeep. Sadly, when he approaches, all three of the original occupants are still in the car. And Davis approaches and says something to the effect of, I told you I was going to get you, and opened fire. It was said that he shot several shots, allegedly. I just realized, even though I opened up in the beginning, that these were all, you know, allegations and that they have not been, you know, convicted in a court of law. I just realized I have not said that at all once yet. So... Again, just a reminder, all of these actions that I'm telling you and all of this are alleged, okay? So anyway, it was said that he fired several shots at the driver's window and then ran in an arc around the back of the vehicle while continuing to shoot. Now, the male of all this, the driver, he returned fire and actually hit Davis in the right shoulder, just grazing his right side. The driver of the Jeep then drove away towards what is called the Walk of Champions. Shortly after the shooting, a 911 call came in from Miles, stating that Davis had been shot. But this call was not made from anywhere. Well, I mean, it was in the area, but not in the direct area. But it was from the University Downs Apartments, where Miles lives. Now, initially, Miles had said that he didn't know where or how Davis came to be shot. He said that he was in his apartment and that he didn't know anything about the shooting. The dispatcher also says during that night that both Miles and Davis were kind of sharing the phone as they were explaining, you know, 
kind of basically trying to lie and figure out how to get themselves out of this. When emergency services arrived at the Walk of Champions, because obviously someone else had called in as well about this, could not find out who, though. But when they get to the scene, sadly, the one of the passengers, the one who was being hit on, was pronounced dead in the passenger seat. Her name was Jamia Harris. Now, Jamia Harris was a 23-year-old from Birmingham, Alabama. She had a 5-year-old son named Kane that she shared with her boyfriend, Cedric Johnson, who was the driver of the Jeep that night. The Jeep actually belonged to her, and it was black in color. I couldn't find much about any of her, like her early life or anything like that, but... Of course, since her death, her mother has been speaking to the media and not wanting anyone to forget her case. And she describes her, you know, as a good girl. She wasn't a troublemaker and that she was a hardworking mother who got up every day to take care of her son. And obviously, she's just absolutely devastated. But, you know, from her her sentiments and, you know, from the pictures I've seen of her, you know, she just seems like a really bright, wonderful caring and determined, hardworking individuals. So, you know, again, it's just so sad. So, like I said, her boyfriend, Cedric Johnson, was in the car with her. He was the one who was driving. He was the dude who rolled down the window, and he's the guy that shot back after they were shot at. But the other person in the car was Jamia's cousin, Asia Humphrey. Jamia and Cedric were there visiting her, And it seems that she was also a student at the University of Alabama or had just recently graduated and still lived in the area. Um, I've seen some conflicting things about that. But either way, they were visiting Asia and, you know, hanging out. It seems like that night they went to a bar or to a club, I should say, and hung out there. And then they decided they wanted to go to this place called Quick Grill to get something to eat. Jamia and Asia decide they're going to sit in the car while Cedric goes and picks up their food. Once he returns, he gets into the back seat and they start eating. This is the point where Miles and Davis show up and this whole thing just becomes an unfortunate, really horribly (laughs) sad case. It's just... (sighs) I just it just all feels so unavoidable and just like it just didn't need to happen. Obviously, I mean, not you know, with any murder or crime or anything like that, none of these things need to happen. People don't need to die for no reason like this or for something as stupid as being, you know, letting your anger get out of control over you know, not being able to hang out with a girl or, you know, you felt threatened because he had a gun. But also, like, why are you chasing him down? Like, why are you trying to find where the car is and where they are after that, after you have a gun? Like, I just, I don't understand. But again, this is all allegedly, these are all allegations. The official, official reports have not come out yet because the court date has not been decided which we will get into in just a minute when the police arrive at the actual you know crime scene of the shooting they find eight 40 caliber shell casings four 45 caliber 
gun casings, extra ammunition, and some Mary Jane. Which, that evidence is practically, like, just irrelevant. Like, it's it's not even a thing, but it's, you know, it's what they found, and they're counting it as evidence for some reason. The Tuscala, or Tuscala, I did listen to how to pronounce this, and I know I'm messing it up, but the, the Toluca Police Department, that's the pronunciation we're going with right now, also spoke to Cedric Johnson and was kind of like trying to figure out why they would turn around and go back. And basically, he was just like, look, I didn't, you know, my girlfriend and I were not from the area, you know, and I guess Asia was not being a good navigator. I don't know. But basically, he was just like, I don't know, and came back that way. And aside from the argument, they really did not have that much solid evidence. However, they were able to search Miles' dorm room or his dorm apartment, whichever, and they uncovered a 40 caliber handgun. Now, I don't know if the testing has gone through, so I can't say that it's a match. However, that matches some of the casings at the scene. They also discovered, again, that, well, actually, they didn't discover Cedric um, Johnson told them that the 45 it was a 45 Taurus something where are you in my notes so it's basically like it's a gun I have not ever heard before ah here it is so it's a Taurus judge so that's the type of gun that Johnson had they knew that already so they were able to you know you know account for that I mean I'm sure they probably still had to do testing but you know at least they knew that they were getting it from the person who owned it. Anyway, like I said, for Miles, his situation, they're going to have to test it and see if it comes back to his. However, the coincidence is strong. I'm sorry, not circ. I mean, like the circumstantial evidence, because that would be circumstantial evidence. The fact that he was present, eyewitnesses, and supposedly CCTV footage confirmed that this was what happened, that he gave him this gun, um, but again, they have to confirm it 100%. And at this point, even if they have done the testing, like I said, um, we're not going to know about it until the trial is over or un- as it's unfolding, I should say. Okay, so does everyone know that when I'm not a podcaster, I'm actually writing academic scholarship teaching in the university and just doing all my queer male scholarly inquiries and analyses. So I am so excited to be talking about one of my favorite academic publishers, Broadview Press. They are an independent academic publisher. They publish in the humanities. Um, They produce high quality, pedagogically useful books for university and college classrooms. But as you'll soon learn, they also publish for literary enthusiasts and literature lovers. So they're always publishing with an eye towards diversity. There's so many titles from female authors, from writers of color, and 
For example, in the fall, we had on Ann Stevens on our podcast. So listen to that episode where she talked all about literary theory and criticism. And as you'll hear, she explains why literary theory is not not important only to university scholars and to students of literature, but also to those arts and culture lovers out there, which all of you are a part of that community. So she discusses why watching Bridgerton actually requires a certain literary theory. And then we play a Wizard of Oz game where she analyzes the Wizard of Oz from all of these different schools of thought, including psychoanalysis, Marxism, feminist theory, queer theory. So What I love is that Broadview is offering 20% off with the code Ivory Tower. So head on over to their website and you will get 20% off with the code Ivory Tower. And if you haven't listened to our most recent episode with Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote Pop Culture for Beginners, yes, the first ever university analysis of pop culture, which is really resonating with me since you all know I'm a huge Real Housewives fan, but also he wrote the Mad Scientist Guide to Composition. So I know so many of you out there teach composition or need more writing tips. Jeffrey Weinstock just came on the podcast, listened to our interview with him. And again, 20% off all Broadview Press texts. Use the code Ivory Tower. Head over to their website. The link is in our episode notes. Enjoy your reading. Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And... She makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It, and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It, Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, and order today. Later that day, and thanks to the CCTV footage and eyewitness statements and, you know, the 911 call, things like that, police were able to track down Miles and Davis later that day, and they brought them in for an interview. As they're interviewing the boys separately, they're realizing that, you know, the boys are trying to lie their way out of this. But of course, the police are armed with the CCTV footage and the eyewitness statements, and they confront them with this, especially the CCTV footage. Like, that's really kind of what gets them to break down, like Miles specifically. And Miles does admit to supplying his gun for his friend Mike Davis. 
Both of the men were charged with capital murder and placed in Tuluska County Jail. Shortly after that, the University of Alabama comes forward and, you know, they, of course, give their sympathies to Jamia Harris's family. But they also immediately remove Darius Miles from the basketball team. In fact, they also, like, completely deleted his uh, bio page that very same day, just before they gave the statement about how he would no longer be on the basketball team. Miles was able to hire a team of lawyers, or I should say his family was able to. Um, They are Mary Turner, Kayla Griffin, and Grace Prince. Now, it seems that Mary Turner is, like, the head of that, and she filed... A motion suggesting that, you know, Miles shouldn't have to have, you know, really a bond. And if he does, it should only be about 50000 because, you know, he has family in the area. He has no prior criminal history. And because of that, I mean, he's also not a flight risk. He is a college student. He probably doesn't have a car, as it seems. So, you know, where's he going? His family were also very willing to pay for an ankle monitor and, you know, have him agree to follow a curfew. Now, all of this was stated by Miles' mother at the preliminary hearing. At this preliminary hearing, both Miles and Davis pleaded not guilty, which, again, that's not exactly unheard of. That's usually the case. Basically, it seems from what I have researched that both Miles and Davis's team are saying that, you know, yes, we know that Miles gave him the gun, but I'm assuming they're going to try to prove that they, that, you know, that Miles couldn't have known that, you know, Davis was going to shoot and, you know, eventually kill poor Jamia Harris. And Davis's attorneys are trying to prove that he acted in self-defense. Now, another hearing is scheduled for May 24th of this year. So that's like next week or so. Actually, it might be the following. But anyway, in that, Cedric Johnson has been subpoenaed. And this is going to be for the bond hearing, essentially. So it seems that they are both still in prison and still incarcerated at this time. Um, but like I said, Cedric Johnson is going to come and he has to testify along with uh, Cedric Johnson, Asia Humphrey has also been subpoenaed as well. In addition to two other people who I am not familiar with, who have not come up in any other part of my research, but someone by the name of Shibante Green and Elaine Carbon. So again, I'm not sure what role they play in this, but they have been subpoenaed to, you know, talk. And of course, along with that, you have the investigators as well that have to testify as well. So like I said, that hasn't happened yet. So again, all of what I just told you is an alleged story of what maybe happened as this trial continues, um, which again, it's not abnormal for murder cases like this, especially since they're both being charged with capital murder. And the reason being that that is kind of the law because they, she was shot inside of a car. So that's why, essentially, they have made this a capital murder case. And depending on how, you know, how the trial goes and if they're found guilty, 
they could be looking at the death penalty. Now, again, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with Miles's case, given that he supplied the gun, which obviously that's not a good thing. That was a very stupid, stupid decision. And I'm going to be anti-gun for a second and just say that if neither guns were involved in this, everyone would be fine. No one would be like either not severely hurt or dead. Definitely. And, you know, poor Jamia Harris had to die over something so fucking stupid. It just sounds like two or I don't know. It just sounds like egotistical bastards being pissed about not getting what they want. And, you know, not for nothing. Darius seemed to have Darius Miles seemed to have like a pretty decent life going for him. And, you know, now he's fucked that up because who knows how the jury's going to find him. Because if his lawyers can't figure out how to, you know, maybe lessen his charge as part of maybe like a plea deal or something like that, like it, he could very well be charged with capital murder. And like I said, be put to death for this. And he just supplied the weapon. Which, again, not condoning, and I'm not saying that it wasn't horrible and that he should have really thought about that before he requested his friend to bring it. But, you know, obviously he didn't pull the trigger either. But (sighs) it's complicated and it's fucked up. And, you know, as this case continues, I will do my best to keep you guys posted. That is all I have for you, my loves. Please don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok and at TC and Academia on Twitter. And until next time, my loves, I will see you later.